You are listening to the sermon podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. If you're about my age, you may likely remember uh, some TV characters, uh, Perry Mason, Ben Matlock, and, and maybe if you don't recognize those names, you might remember more recent TV characters uh, like Aaron Reagan Boyles from the, the Blue Blood series or, um, or, or Jack McCoy from, from Law and Order. And, and maybe you're not into TV at all, but you would recognize uh, Ellie Wood, the character from Legally Blonde, or, or my cousin Vinny, the, the Vinny Gambini character. Or, or maybe you don't watch a screen at all and, and you love classic literature, you'd recognize Atticus Finch. Uh, what do all those characters have in common? They're lawyers right? Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, in all those courtroom dramas, it so often came out that, that the lawyer would seek out the truth and figure out what's really going on and then with the witness on the witness stand would bring truth to light and the innocent would go free and the guilty would be convicted and wasn't it wonderful? In fact, most of the time, most of the time the truth came out in such a way so that the prosecution eventually went, we withdraw all charges. And then somebody would point to somebody in the courtroom and say, arrest that person, Right? I wanted to be that lawyer, the, the one that had just the right question to, to bring it all together and make it all happen. And then I realized <clears throat> that's not the way the real word, world works very often. It's, it, it's, it's pretty rare, I'm sure, that a, a guilty person confesses right there on the witness stand because they... They're so flustered they can't do anything but confess to the crime. And, and we all know that, that there are occasions where, where the guilty go free or even those rare situations where an innocent person will be convicted. So I, I never pursued, as I got older, I, I never pursued being a lawyer, but I still love courtroom dramas. I love that. And, and our text for today, our text for today is a bit of courtroom drama. Really, it happens right after Jesus is arrested or, well, you be careful with that. It happens several hours after Jesus' arrest and it comes from Mark chapter 14. He's, he's brought in front of the council. Sometimes they use the phrase the Sanhedrin to talk about this council. Jesus comes before the council. 
We want to read this account from Mark 14, starting at verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all of the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. Peter had followed them at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up in their midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. The king, Jesus, the king is on trial here. And, and what I'd like to invite you to do this morning, I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you to be a witness. Imagine if you can, sitting on the edges. We know at least one of the disciples, we have some evidence that it was probably John, who, who actually was allowed into this event. So we have this on eyewitness account Imagine, perhaps, what would you have seen if you were that eyewitness to this courtroom drama? Well, the first thing you might notice is time and place. This is happening in the middle of the night. What reasonable culture or reasonable society says, let's hold an important, very, very uh, uh, public facing. Now the public wasn't invited, but, but this was going to have a huge effect on the public and they knew it. Let's have that trial in the middle of the night, right? That was not only unheard of, that was not allowed, by Mosaic law. You didn't hold a trial in the middle of the night. And the church council is meeting at Caiaphas's house. There is a few rare occasions where that had happened, but that's also very, very unusual. They would have typically met at, in, in a room not far from the temple or, or right near the temple or even in the temple complex here they are at Caiaphas's house in the middle of the night, and, and all of them are there. 
I mean, the whole council's there. So obviously, somebody sent out a group text, everybody, Caiaphas' house, midnight tonight, right? I mean, think about that in this culture. This was either a well-planned meeting under the cover of darkness, where everybody knew, okay, if the arrest comes off, we should show up at Caiaphas's house in the middle of the night to see if they actually were, did arrest Jesus and then were there. Or in the hour or hours that passed between his arrest and this event, somebody went out to all of the members of the council and said, Caiaphas's house. They succeeded. They got Jesus arrested. Show up at Caiaphas's house. I don't know how it happened, but I know that it required a significant amount of planning to get everybody there. But, but here they are with Jesus, the accused. Uh, by the way, what was Jesus accused of? See, Jewish law required that prior to coming to trial, it's a little bit similar to the systems we're more familiar with. Before you can bring somebody to trial, they have to be indicted, right? There has to be enough evidence so that you at least have a case against him. That goes back to Mosaic law. They didn't have any kind of arraignment They didn't have any witnesses other than what they'd heard with their own ears. They bring Jesus to trial looking for something to to find him guilty of. They bring him to trial hoping that they can stumble on some evidence that'll make him guilty of something because they don't know what they can try him for, but they know they want him tried and convicted. So it'd actually be a pretty good study as to why we have, we have some of the constitutional protections that we have in our own courtroom system. That wouldn't fly in our culture. It wouldn't normally fly in Jewish culture. But here they are in the middle of the night without an arraignment, bringing somebody to trial in Caiaphas's house, hoping, hoping they can find witnesses that will agree. And, and of course, as we read, they, they can't find that. That's another thing we would notice. If we were sitting there, we would have seen witness after witness. We don't know how many, but several witnesses come in. What can you tell us about this person? And they tell them, thank you. And they go out and the next person comes in and they give a slightly different account. Mosaic law says you cannot convict anyone without credible testimony from at least two witnesses. And they can't, they can't find it. They can't even scare it up. They can't even, e- even with their orchestrations, they can't figure out how to put two witnesses together that are going to testify to the same thing. Now, by the way, that's not surprising right? Because nobody knows what Jesus is on trial for. And if you don't know what the crime might have been, how could your, how do you, 
How do you even orchestrate the testimony? So nobody's in agreement, no charges brought. And if I'm a spectator on the sideline, especially if I'm a Jesus follower on the sideline, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this court is going to come up with anything. <laughs> this, is a, this is a fly-by-night outfit, literally in the middle of the night. This is, an, this is a, what we might call a kangaroo court. There's no way they're going to find evidence. And in the midst of all of the frustration, the high priest, Caiaphas, stands up in the middle of the proceedings. And the way the text reads, it's almost like he interrupts it maybe out of frustration. This isn't working. It's slipping away. We have Jesus and now it's all falling apart. And Caiaphas stands up almost in a last ditch effort and says, okay, Jesus, what do you have to say? The Sadducees, Caiaphas is one of them. The Sadducees have made a lot of runs at Jesus. Right? They've taken a lot of chances where they've gone in and posed him with a question they thought, this will trap him. And it never works. And now Caiaphas tries it, honestly, he tries it with something as lame as, well, what are you going to say? And Jesus, wisely, Jesus doesn't say anything. And I'm thinking to myself, Good for you, Jesus. There's no way this court's going to get anything on you. Just keep your mouth shut, right? I learned on Perry Mason, you can plead the Fifth Amendment. You don't ever have to say anything that incriminates you. Jesus, just keep your mouth. Don't let Caiaphas bait you into saying something. And Jesus is quiet and, and Caiaphas takes one more shot. Mark uses the word that we translate again. It's like he starts over. He's going to take one, like one last, I'm going to make a run at this. And he asks Jesus a very pointed question. He says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And again, if I'm there, I'm going, Jesus, careful. Be careful, Jesus. They aren't going to understand your answer to this question. They don't get it. And so if you answer this question truthfully, they're going to misunderstand. Just be careful. Keep your mouth shut. And he doesn't. He says two things that would have been bound to get their attention and it would have gotten your attention too had you been there that night and been trained up in in a Jewish synagogue. It would have gotten your attention too. He says, I am. Which of course, that's that's what God told Moses. Moses said, God, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, Moses, tell him, I am has sent you. And Jesus says, I am. And ears would have gone up. Eyebrows would have gone up. 
And if I'd have been there, I'd have thought, oh, Jesus, don't answer that way. They're clearly going to misunderstand that. And they didn't misunderstand it at all. Jesus was claiming, was claiming to be God. And then he says, you will see the son of man. Now that phrase son of man comes from the seventh chapter of Daniel. And it's a part of Daniel's vision of the Messiah at the end of all time. He says, I am. That equals in their minds, and it's true, he is God. And then he says, and you'll see the son of man. You'll see me, the Messiah, at the end of time. Caiaphas tears his robe. And quickly they come to the conclusion that that we need to put this, quote, blasphemer to death. And as a bystander on the sideline, I'm thinking, Jesus, why would you do that? Jesus, why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? Right? Why, why give them the evidence they're never going to be able to orchestrate on their own? They've proved to be inept. Well, maybe the answer is even more sobering than the scene itself, because of course he, he did that because if he hadn't, if he hadn't gone to the cross, you and I would still be separated from God by our sin. He did that because he loves you and he loves me enough to say the only way this is going to work is if I speak up. And it has to work. Or those I love stay and remain dead in their trespasses and sin. And, and this is where it differs from the usual courtroom drama, right? This is where it differs from, from Perry Mason and from, from Ben Matlock and from Law and Order. This is where it differs because because when the evidence falls apart in those shows, the innocent one goes free and the guilty one is brought to justice. But here, almost in front of our very eyes, the innocent one is sentenced to death. And the guilty one goes free. You see, it's, it's not just the injustice of the guilty one, of the, of the innocent one being found guilty. But grasp the depth of this. You and I, the guilty ones, by the death that comes from this sentence, you and I, the guilty ones, are set free.
Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. He writes, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The requirement of the law is fulfilled in us because he was falsely convicted and sent to his death. I think you'll agree with me that on one level, that ain't right. So, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this innocent one being condemned to die and a guilty one going free? Well, one of the things is that we could just simply be indignant at the injustice of it all. That wouldn't change anything, of course. But it might be appropriate for the circumstances for us to to commit our lives to saying this was wrong and unjust and and as a result I'm I'm going to I'm going to commit to fixing injustice. Well that's That's not totally off. Or or we could Simply demand. This is wrong. I want to stand before the judge on my own merits. I could decide, no, no, it's not right that Jesus be convicted in my place. I'll stand before the judge. I think I can be okay. I'm going to stand here on my own merits. I'll let you be the judge of that for yourself, but I know myself too well to imagine that could ever come out well. Or as a response to this, and, and, and this might stand out as the wisest response of all. We can simply bow our knee and receive Jesus' conviction on our behalf as a gift to us receive his payment for our redemption. We can simply accept it as fact, receive it for ourselves, because because that's how Jesus meant it to be. That's the whole point. He doesn't want us to have to stand before the judge on our own merits, because he knows we're going to be convicted. He doesn't want us to simply be indignant at all of that because he did this for a reason, intentionally. That's why he did what he did and that's why he said what he said. That's why he spoke up when all the rest of the proceedings were falling apart. And he invites us to receive that gift to receive his sacrifice for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can be reconciled to Jesus. 
in, 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 our, in our courtroom drama scenes on TV and in the movies, when, when we see the innocent person wrongly convicted, we have this sense that something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. And in this case, it may not be the happy ending you would hope for. That, that we know happens about three days later, right? We'll get to that on Easter Sunday. But, the, but this is not the happy ending of the courtroom scene we would hope for. But, but in this case, the faulty conviction of an innocent one in this sham of a court is the best news of all. Because it means you and I have been set free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see in Scripture that that this was part of your plan from the very beginning, and yet we recognize that, that your heart was broken at the conviction of the innocent as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you had this plan. Jesus, thank you for speaking up in that courtroom so that my sin, so that our sin would be atoned for. Jesus, give us hearts to receive this. Save us from the, 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 the pride and the, and the self-centeredness that makes us sometimes want to stand on our own and, and, and face the judge. Lord, save us from, from anything other than falling on our knees to receive your gracious gift of being condemned and convicted on our behalf. Lord, thank you for setting us free. Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I, I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or, or streaming this content today. We try and pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you, and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content, and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? 
It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless you.